Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. Like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. This episode of Conversations on Dance is brought to you by Dance Teacher Web Conference and Expo. From innovative movement classes to inspiring seminars, Dance Teacher Web 2022 has more than 140 sessions on an extensive range of dance and business and personal development topics. So whether you are a new teacher, a professional dancer looking to transition into teaching someday, a seasoned studio owner or a school administrator, you can customize a program to meet your professional needs. This conference, catered specifically to dance teachers of all styles, includes business building seminars, marketing trends, and unique studio retention ideas, teacher certification training programs with UNLV, world-class expo hall with 80 plus exhibitors networking with dance celebrities and so much more register now for the dance teacher web conference and expo august 4th through 7th 2022 in las vegas and go into your classes next year loaded with new class content for all levels and ignite your creative flame with ideas for new choreography and music we are happy to offer our listeners a special code for 50 dollars off your conference registration when you use code COD50 at checkout. But hurry, this special offer ends May 4th, 2022. Visit danceteachersummerexpo.com for information and to register now or click the link in the description of this episode. Remember, use code COD50 at checkout for $50 off your conference registration. This April 9th, an extraordinary one-night event, I Heart Dance Stands with Ukraine, is coming to the Florence Gould Hall in New York City. This performance will help raise funds for the people of Ukraine and support relief effort for those directly impacted by the war. Performing artists include Lauren Lovett, Sarah Mearns, Christine Chepchenko, Brooklyn Mack, Tyler Angle, Devin Tusher, Corey Stearns, and many more. Tickets are now on sale at iheartdancenyc.com. The Conversations on Dance listener survey is back. It's been a few years since we have checked in with our listeners to get your feedback. So we have put together a short list of questions that takes just a couple minutes to complete. By responding to our 10 questions, you will help us get a better understanding of our audience, which we will use to support the podcast in the future and bring you more of the content that you are looking for. 
We are already receiving really helpful feedback and great listener suggestions, which we will be addressing in an upcoming episode of COD. Thank you for tuning in and being a valuable part of this podcast's future. Click the link in the description of this episode to take our survey now or visit conversationsondancepod.com. I'm Rebecca King Ferraro. And I'm Michael Sean Breeden, and you're listening to Conversations on Dance. On today's episode of Conversations on Dance, we are joined by New York City Ballet Repertory Director and former principal dancer Jean-Pierre Froelich. JP, as he is referred to by friends and colleagues, began his training at the School of American Ballet and quickly caught the eye of George Balanchine. Once accepted into the New York City Ballet, he soon began dancing coveted soloist and principal roles. When Jerome Robbins returned to the company after spending over a decade on Broadway, he also began to push JP into featured roles. Following his retirement from the stage, JP began to stage the works of Jerome Robbins all over the world and has been an integral figure in maintaining the integrity of the Robbins repertoire at home in New York City Ballet as a repertory director. We talked to JP about his early interactions with Balanchine, performing iconic roles of the works of two living geniuses, and how he came to stage ballets for Jerome Robbins. JP, thank you so much for joining us today. We're so happy to see you and speak with you. We've been looking forward to this for a while, so thanks for joining us. Thank you, and thank you for inviting me. So I'm looking forward to this conversation. We're going to have so much fun. We were <laughs> going through all the questions and I was just like, mm, this is yeah. going to be great. <laughs> I mean, we, we've danced in many ballets that you have staged for us. And so this is kind of going to be fun for me and Rebecca to get an even deeper picture into some of those works and um, like your own personal experience. So let's just start at the very beginning with how you first became exposed to and interested in dance. Wow. I've I was exposed to dance at a very early age. Um, my sister was at SAB in the 60s, and she did Nutcracker at City Center. And she also was the original, one of the original children in Midsummer Night's Dream. So I was exposed to that as a child, being from a very artistic um, parents that came from Europe musicians. So I was always surrounded by the arts. Short story, my youngest sister went to audition for to SAB and she was rejected. But Diana Adams, who was running the, um, the faculty at the time, said to my father, you know, you have a son. Would he be interested? Uh, would you be interested in having him audition? My father was for it. My mother was a little against it, but my father won out and I auditioned, got in. But the interesting thing in 1964, you didn't have very many boys mm-hmm. taking class, sure. so especially ballet. Uh, I didn't get a scholarship, <laughs> which is shocking. Right. <laughs> at the time, the one who did the auditions was Tunkowski, mm-hmm. and she she said his body's too tight; he will never dance. <laughs> so, but to my parents, who did not really have any money due to immigrating to America. Uh, They paid my tuition uh, for a little while, but then three years later, uh, I got a scholarship because um, they saw improvement and they wanted to keep me. So I did all the children's roles in Nutcracker. I would, Mr. Balanchine choreographed a section in Don Q for me and Judy Fugay, a puppet scene when I was 10. So I was extremely exposed. I mean, SAB was basically, uh, and New York City Ballet was really my my whole universe 
mm-hmm. you know, as a child. I mean, I had a lot of outside friends, but that was my, that's what I wanted to do, even though I wasn't sure at the time that I really wanted to dance and continue it because I was really lazy. You know, <laughs> I, I really was extremely lazy and I would, I would just work on instincts, um, not as much as using my head, mm-hmm. you know? So anyway, when I was six, shocking to me that you were lazy. I can't, <laughs> I was lazy. Uh, yes. But when I became a, you know, repetitor, I, my whole persona, my whole personality changed oh, interesting. because I was not in charge of myself. I was in charge of right. many people and oh. people were depending on me. Right. Can we go back for a second? Um, I'm curious about, since you knew balancing from such a young age, um, tell us a little bit about a little bit more about those experiences working with him. And I'm also wondering, did that kind of demystify him a little bit for you since, and I mean, you had, I'm sure you worked on um, Nutcracker the Prince with him and you had this role made on you and Don Q. Having that that early back and forth, did that kind of take him off the pedestal a little bit for you? Not really. Uh, not 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 really, but, but because uh, it was at that time, Jerry was not around, Robbins. Right. Mm-hmm. So it was really Balanchine's company and vision. Mm-hmm. So even though I, I interacted with him um, as a child and I did feel comfortable, it, he was still on that pedestal right? because of, you know, of his body of work and the whole mystique and the whole thing about City Ballet and how in the forefront they were and how he changed uh, a lot of the way we danced and how musical he was. It's it just it it was always uh, he was always on a pedestal. Right. Jerry Robbins, when I got to work with him, was different. That mm-hmm. that was a whole different ballgame for me. Right. So we're going to get this, into that. For sure. Oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this might be this might end up being a two parter. We might need an hour on Valentine, an hour on Jerry. No. Um, but when you were doing this, this role in Don Q, um, was this at the point that you'd already gotten to your scholarship? Were they showing a little no, more faith in you? No, I was just joining SAB. Okay. I was 10 years old. Uh-huh. I was two and I was 10 and I was did this puppet scene with Judy mm-hmm. Fugate when I was 10. Mm-hmm. So Toomey might have been skeptical, but Balanchine was a fan at 10. <laughs> yeah, so that, that's was pretty a fan. good. <laughs> that he was, because I'll tell you later, if we get to Jerry Robbins about mm-hmm. uh, what Balanchine said about me to Jerry and Jerry told me later on. Mm-hmm. A good teaser. So um, what else did you do at SAB then with the company? It was as a student before you started to kind of well, I also be, professional? I was I went, went to Fritz to the Prince for three years. I went to the bed boy right after. Yes. <laughs> as a student. Do they do is it students normally at City Ballet? Oh, yeah. Do? Is it yeah. I wonder, is it still a student? Yeah, still a oh, student. Wow. That seems uh, appropriate, stress. maybe. Stress. stress, but appropriate. <laughs> yeah. And then I became a super, you know, in Don Q, we had uh, extras all the time. And that was that experience. And while I was still as SAB, um, I was in the premiere of Watermill, Jerry Robbins's mm. production mm-hmm. at 16. So I already got a taste of New York City Ballet. Right. And being involved in it and kind of how it works. Mm-hmm. What was it like for you um, those later years in the school? Did you have a pretty strong idea that you would be entering the company shortly? Well, 
When I was at the school, we had an amazing amount of talent. I had Fernando Bujones was in my class, Victor Barbie. Uh, I can go on. Uh, Michael Owen, Richard Schaefer. This is a generation before you. Mm-hmm. Um, there was an incredible amount of talent. Victor Costelli, um, so many people, and eventually Bart Cook, Tracy Bennett, all these people. Right. And um, so Balanchine wanted to take Fernando Bojones into the company in 1972. And uh, Balanchine wanted me to stay a year longer at the school to work on my technique because he felt I needed to get a little stronger. And he might have wanted me to, to do some leads and workshop just to, mm-hmm. for my development. But since Fernando always knew he didn't want New York City Ballet, the reason why he, the reason why he was at SAB was really for Stanley Williams mm-hmm. at the time uh, to study under him. But uh, Fernando went to ABT and Balanchine, you know, took me into the company at 17, uh, mm-hmm. right during the rehearsal period of... Uh, Stravinsky Festival. That's what I was going to say. That's some crazy timing. (laughs) Yeah, it was some crazy timing. Yep. Well, that was a really chaotic rehearsal period. There were like, there were rehearsals going on in the hall. Rehearsing in the hallways. Yeah. Yeah, Jerry Robbins re-choreographing something in the hallways. Things were just thrown together at the last minute. It was the most exciting experience I think I've ever had to this day. It was pure energy for a cause a focus and it was just the, the company was so energized mm-hmm. to yeah. see these creations from many other choreographers john Terrace is choreographing john clifford richard tanner at the time uh it was all in-house basically and um balanchine and jerry mm-hmm. I and mean, balanchine created you know violin concertos um Symphony in Three Movements out of this, right. you know, Baiser de la Fe, which is, you know, based on Mozart. Right. Mm-hmm. What, what did you dance during the festival? I was in Dick Tanner's piece, which was four couples called Octet. Um, I was also in Puccinella. Mm-hmm. I was in, oh my God, of course, Firebird. Uh, oh God, what else was I in? I was still new, so I wasn't in much. Right. I learned an awful lot. Um, I have to go back. But yeah. that was like 22 ballets or something, 21 or 22 ballets. 22 or so. 21, <laughs> but I was an apprentice at the time. So I was shuffling. I, I understudied violin concerto. They, mm-hmm. they put me to understudy um, symphony three movements. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Agon, that was not part of my rep at that time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but for, for sure, I had at least three or four ballets. Right. Yeah. Some unmemorable. So, <laughs> but I think well, we all, not, there I are mean, certain clunkers, you know, you're not always going to have a winner. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we got enough masterpieces out of that week. I think Song uh, of the Nightingale, I think that was the other one from John Terrace. Uh, it was kind of a, it was what it was. <laughs> Um, so uh, you would just come in at like this really iconic moment in the, the company's history. What were some of the next steps for you? What were maybe some of the first times you were singled out, um, in featured roles? It was a nutcracker mm-hmm. because, um, Rosemary Dunleavy, who's still one of the ballet mistresses at the company, she was 
putting together the casting for the party scene. And she showed it to Balanchine. Uh, and I heard, found out later that Balanchine said, no, dear, Froelich is not going to be a grandfather in the party, party scene. <laughs> Too young looking. Uh-huh. He's going to learn soldier. So I went right to a solo. And then the following year, I ended up doing um, in Nutcracker, Chinese and Candy Cane. Right. But the other ballet that Balanchine cast me in because there was an injury towards the end of my first year, or it could be the beginning of my second year was Illuminations, mm. was the poet in the lead in Illuminations. Uh, due to Bobby Marano having an injury, uh, he wanted me to do it and learn it. Mm-hmm. So I ended up uh, learning it quite quickly and uh, performing it. And that was my real big, and I was dancing with Sally Leland and, um, and who else was it? It was Carol Sumner at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So did that sort of, at what point did Jerry begin to have an interest in you? Did he, did he see you in these it roles? Started, like- it started at SAB when, when he was watching class, because at the time um, when Jerry came back after dances at a, uh, after the premiere of dances at a gathering, then he started to redo his concert, the ballet, the concert. So um, it was on, hiatus for 10 years and he was um rehearsing at sab and sometimes he would always love to go peek into stanley's class or whoever was teaching men's class because the door was always open Mm -hmm. so he was fascinated he was very intrigued and fascinated by young dancers he always found uh new blood in and who but inspired him are the younger younger dancers the generation so he would come up to me after that class a few times that he was watching he gave me a couple of corrections and he kind of said a couple of things that were complimentary which i i took very much to heart and i was very touched by it but when he saw me and he was creating watermill Mm -hmm. which is to me not a ballet it's really a theater piece he was rehearsing with another dancer and that one day he asked me, had someone call me to come to a rehearsal one day to learn it. So I learned it and I came for a couple of days as I was um, represented the figure of youth to Eddie Ward Villala, who is the mm-hmm. main character, you know, going back into his past in this piece. And um then I did a couple of rehearsals and then I wasn't called back. And I thought, oh, okay, that's no big deal. Then a month later, I get another phone call saying, JP, uh, Jean-Pierre, could you come to rehearsals again? And from that second phone call in my second round of rehearsals, I was rehearsing it every day. And then Jerry went to Mr. B and said, you know, I would like to use Jean-Pierre, but he's in the school. He's not in the company. And Mr. B, this is a story that Robbins told me. Mr. B said, you can, of course, you can use Froelich. He's family. Uh-huh. So I was very touched by that. So uh, knowing that I was going to get in the company, I'm sure Balanchine knew, you know, he wanted me in the company because I was product of SAB. I was his product. Right. I didn't come from the outside, from the beginning. Right. He had known you since you were 10, 10. then, right? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. What was that like to be a student um, in those rehearsals? And then also with someone like Edward Valella 
you know, dancing. I don't know if you were opposite him or certainly in the same vicinity. No, I, was, I was in the opposite. He was my idol when I was growing up. Oh, I bet. Yeah. I mean, there was years when we were at years ago when the schedule was like they only rehearsed the company for two hours. Uh, and you would look at the schedule and you go, okay, class 11 to 12, 12 to 2, they have to do this replacement rehearsals. So they had four or five hours off before their performance. Right. Due to there was never a second or third cast. Right. Original cast did every performance. Short story. When SAB was at on 82nd Street and Broadway, on a Friday night, Stanley would teach late class. The majority of the company would come to that late class at 5:30, take his class, and I used to always watch it because I wasn't in, I was in advanced men's, but I didn't take the late class at that time. I wasn't allowed to. I was just mesmerizing Eddie, uh, Jacques, Melissa Hayden, all these dancers warming up, taking Stanley's class before the performance. So it for me, Eddie was this icon and idol. I, I emulated him. That's who I wanted to be like. Yeah. So, right. um, um, yeah, it was it was. As I said, I was just not I wasn't always using my brain. I was just using my instincts. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> To me, uh, I didn't think anything of it because it was just what I did and what I was doing. And it was part of the process with Jerry there and, and, and Eddie. But I was I didn't say much. I like zipped it up in front of the dancers <laughs> in the company. Right. I'll do whatever you're telling me. <laughs> uh-huh. yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, um, but Jerry kept on saying, can you please do it? Can you please do it? And I felt bad for the other dancer that was in the company that was it was choreographed on. But right. Um, Jerry, you know, always got his way, basically. Right. Wow. Balanchine always gave Jerry priority when he uh-huh. choreographed on his casting. And Mr. B would always take the leftovers. And then when you think about Mr. B's ballets, like violin concerto, not that any dances are leftover. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that. But sure. uh, he created, it just shows the structure of Balanchine's ballets, that it doesn't really matter who's dancing him or who he's choreographing on. It's because of the structure and what he's created. Um, he created Violent Concerto on the dancers that Jerry did not want. Jerry always had Bart Cook, Victor, and all these, you know, dancers that were, uh, that Mr. B liked. Mm-hmm, right. Can we go back for a second? You're, you're watching Stanley's class. It's making me wonder, what, was there a point where you, had transitioned out of being, as you called it yourself, lazy. Like, I'm wondering how, how, what was your relationship with Stanley? Like if, if you were you um, going to class by that point or. He was interesting. He, he liked me a lot, but he always said to me, you, you work, you have your way of working. In other words, <laughs> Fernando was the big, you know, right. Student pet mm-hmm. teacher's pet, I should say. Uh, well, he was incredibly talented. His work ethics was not to be believed. Um, mm-hmm. He knew what he wanted. Uh, uh, he loved, Stanley loved Victor Barbie. So I wasn't one of his favorites, even though I was used in Stanley's workshops uh, in Conservatory at, right. and in La Silphide. I had, you know, uh, I danced, you know, parts that were important to those ballets. Right. Uh, but Stanley always, he really, um, he liked me, but he, he left me alone a lot. Um, 
but uh, I always had a really good relationship with them. You know, and then I, my relationship even grew more when we did uh, Borden, Bordenville Divertismart in the company. I got an opportunity to really work again with him. But I used to take Stanley's class all the time at the school. Um, I always like going back to back to the school to just work and see other other dancers from other companies that used to come. I was when I was in this, at the when I was a student at the school. There was an incredible class of Stanleys that I never forget. And Victor Barbie and I talk about it. Victor Barbie, who used to be a principal dancer at ABT and was an associate director at some point until he, he left and now is in Washington, D.C. with Washington Ballet. But uh, there was a class in the 60s that a lot of guest dancers came to take Stanley one Saturday morning. It was Helgi Tomasen, who wasn't in the company at, at City Ballet. It was Eddie. It was Eric Broom. It was Nureyev. It was uh, many dancers from ABT. Michael Smoon, I think, was there. Um, many dancers from City Ballet, Bruce Wells. I can go on. I can't remember all. And then there was Fernando, and there was Victor, and there was all of us uh, in that class. And that was the most incredible class I've ever right. seen. The Martins was in the class. And it was just, it was wild. I sat. I didn't do the center. I just sat and walked. <laughs> I mean, because with that. That much talent days, in front of we, you. We, we didn't have cell phones. Oh, <laughs> phones. We didn't have iPhones. So our attention span was more geared to learning by watching. Right. We would learn everything by watching, uh, mm-hmm. not by, uh, you know, what we do now. Not that a lot of people do learn from watching, but it's a different story. Right. I think that's so different interesting way. to hear because I think that in some companies, there might be um, rules about um, company dancers taking student classes. And of course, there's a space issue, right? If you don't have enough space, it is the student's class. But what an important experience for you as a young dancer to see these people up close, not just on stage, but to see their process and how they're working. And then in Stanley's class, it's it's just so how incredible. I'm sure it was a big influence. No, it's incredible. But I have to tell you another story. Let's go back a second. I love it. Let's do it. I, when, when Stanley Stanley came, Balanchine invited Stanley. This is what I've heard. Now, I wasn't there, but I've heard this from a few people. And Balanchine would teach the morning class. And Mr. V invited Stanley to teach a warm-up mm-hmm. for the performance. Well, over period of a couple of weeks, Balanchine realized there was less people in his class and more in Stanley's. Because oh. <laughs> <laughs> Balanchine wasn't a conventional class. You know, right. it was really, right. I mean, he used to be a real conventional, real conventional teacher. He really taught basic principles, probably at SAB when he was teaching at that time in the early days. But uh, over time, he was mostly working on ideas especially when he would right. choreograph, he would like to always to teach class because he would, it would get his juices going. He would try things and it would just invigorate him. Right. Short story. He, that's why Stanley ended up being at SAB. We <laughs> 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 moved him over to SAB, but it was the greatest thing that happened to right, a lot right. of male dancers, sure. even though we had a Glavsky, but Vladimirov, who was before, right before my time, he just retired. And that was Dabrowska's husband. So uh, there was a void that needed to be filled, and Stanley filled it. Right. I mean, Whenever... Balanchine wasn't beneath ego. 
you know, I, I, well, I've heard, I wonder if you can offer any insight into this. I've heard that the one time that Balanchine was visibly jar- jealous of Jerry was um, after the dance's premiere. Oh, yeah, uh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. We hear that. Listen, I was at the premiere as a student. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, you know, City Valley wasn't selling out, so they were giving tickets away a lot at SAB at the time. And I watched the premiere of Dances at a Gathering. And I never heard an audience scream like mm-hmm. that at, at, at City Ballet. I mean, I would go to performances and watch performances, but they were always, they were, the applause were always, always subdued. They right. weren't like screaming bravo. And right. but at, at, when the current calls were happening for dancers, I was just blown away. Right. And wow. I saw this bearded man come out for a bow and, I heard of Jerry Robbins, but I didn't really think much about it. I grew up with West Side Story. I grew up with the LP. I was listening to that, you know, right, right, right. the crop key, the whole thing. I watched the movie. I grew up in the Upper West Side. They were gangs, just not like dancing around, but they were gangs. <laughs> up Amsterdam right, Avenue, right. you cannot walk up Amsterdam Avenue. Right. Even Columbus Avenue. I mean, Columbus Avenue changed because of Lincoln Center. It got right. just you know, it evolved, but my God, the, the where Lincoln Center was, was really rough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what was your reaction as a, a student watching dances? Did, did you understand it or did you, I mean, because the ballet was pretty revolutionary for its time too. You know, it's, it's fascinating to me to think of the audience having that reaction because it's so nuanced and, mm-hmm. um, you know, intimate that, uh, I love that the audience had that sort of reaction to it. You know, I think today audiences maybe expect more just like bam, bam, virtuosity. But as a student, really? did you get that? Did you, did you like it? I didn't get it. Right. I mean, I loved it. <laughs> right. I loved right. it, but I didn't really understand. I didn't get it yet. Right, right, right. I didn't get it. But then I would see people in the audience crying mm-hmm. of the, from the beauty of it, from the music, because... Mm-hmm. It was revolutionary at that time. And and just the simplicity of it. Right. Mm-hmm. Of the relationships on stage. And, and the dancers just creating this community that Jerry always somehow creates, no matter what he does, he creates this, this environment that the audience is not there. They're just looking through a peak hole, a peephole right. or a keyhole just to see what's going on. You know, it's like... They're dancing for each other, but I didn't really get it as much until I joined the company and, and was dancing dances at a gathering. Yeah. That's when I really got it. Let's talk about really- that because so you're there for the premiere. We've talked had the good fortune to speak with some dancers who are part of the creation process. We've heard about that, but I wonder what was it like then getting back in the studio with Jerry dancing it after it's been premiered, you know, it's going again. What was he, what did he ever fine tune it? Was he making changes or was it like, this is set in stone. This is dances forever. You know, he made a couple of changes. I don't, because I know I have the original uh, video of the original cast at the premiere and I watch it. And I remember when, I think Susie Hendel came to Miami City Ballet. Mm-hmm. Eddie was there, and he did a certain section of the Etudes Potter. It was different, and he wanted that version. He danced. Mm-hmm. So when I look at, because I saw the Miami City Ballet tape, and then I have the 
or I looked at the original, I should say. Right. And then I look at what we've been doing the last 30 years. Right. I see the differences and little nuances that Jerry changed mm-hmm. because Jerry didn't know what he was doing. He was just, you know, Balanchine said, you know, he said, I have more music to Mr. B. And Mr. B said, it's like popcorn. Continue. You know, you've heard this before. <laughs> yeah. So just keep on going. Doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And Jerry was amazing because he would create a body of work. But his mind knew how to make the puzzle work. Right. He knew where the beginning, the ending, the middle, and, and all these little things so that the audience would not really get bored and right. they would understand what was happening on stage. But little things were changing over time. Sometimes dancers would do something a little bit different mm-hmm. than the original dancer did. And if Jerry liked it, he would say, keep it in. And then that would become what that step or that movement would be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But he made changes over time. I remember I was doing the concert uh, and I was doing the shy boy and I did something in, during that potter that he really liked. And when I was walking backstage to go to the other side of the stage after the performance of the concert, he told me, keep that in. And now everybody does it uh-huh. because <laughs> they see it on a video. Right. But uh, I've seen things evolve over time because dancers have changed dancers are better now in in way of technique um yeah. if i i look at the brown boy solo i remember when he was in paris rehearsing it with manuel Legree when he was staging it at the paris opera and they were doing a step in the very the second variation and he never saw it done the way manuel Legree was doing it mm-hmm. and he was mesmerized by it and now everyone does it that way oh, right. so things just evolved over time I mean, sometimes he would like to change things for the dancers. Right. Right. It's interesting because from all accounts of the creation process, there was changes left, right, and center. And like, it was just constantly, constantly evolving. But he must have just had that eye that he knew it worked once the final product came out. And then it was just small changes. That's interesting. Yeah, I'd have to tell you a story because Anthony Dowell told me the story when he was doing dances at a gathering at the Royal Ballet. Jerry came three months he was there and he made everybody learn every part, every part, no matter, you know, every part. And he could not decide who was going to do what section. Mm -hmm. And because he would go as far as he could go, Jerry, that is to see how far he can go to continue his process the way he wanted to continue the process. But at some point after two months, I think it was Anthony Dowell, Anthony Dowell was selected to go to Jerry and say, you know, we've had enough. Uh-huh. You have to decide who does what now. That's uh-huh. tough. And then once Jerry was pinned down like that, he would do it. Mm-hmm. He just needed someone to tell him, okay, stop. Right. Now, let, now let's see who's going to do the purple boy. Who's going to do the brown. Right. Who's the pink. Right. Let's just, and let's just fix it. But he also made some changes from the original. He changed where the green girl's variation mm-hmm. happens in relationship to the the grand waltz. And also he took out the variation for the brown boy after the etude potter because he would finish the potter and then come right back on for the variation. Mm-hmm. And now he puts the, the walk waltz meeting the green girl with right. the three different gentlemen mm-hmm. there for, to give him a rest. Mm-hmm. Right. That hasn't really changed anything about dance to the gathering. Right. It's just the order. Right. But he, he did, he would let different, 
um, roles do different parts. Like there's the green, yes. like I've seen Maria Caligari do wind waltz at, in green. Like, what was that? Like, when did he, would he just kind of randomly decide that? Well, like, it, like, it's when injuries came about. Okay. Oh. I know when there's injuries at some point, he would have the brick boy know the etude variation. Right. For the brown boy. And he always felt sometimes whoever was doing the apricot or the yellow girl, originally that apricot, which was Allegra Kent, she did the wind waltz. Right. So it depend on who was cast in that role for the apricot. Like when Wendy did it, Jenny Ringer mm-hmm. or Judy Fugate did the apricot, they did the wind waltz. Mm-hmm. But sometimes that's not always the case. It just depends of not how they dance. It's just their type of dancer you pick for the apricot. Right. Sure. Like, right. like Megan Fairchild has danced the ap- apricot brilliantly, but she's never done the wind waltz. Mm-hmm. Right. I always just think, gosh, she must be so tired. Because <laughs> I always like, I mean, the giggle dance is hard. It's puffy. I'm always, I was always like, ooh, okay, I'm glad I'm done now. And then she has to go out and do all these other dance, grand waltz and, you know. Right. Um, but well, what I like about the apricot during the wind waltz for me, and because when the mauve comes on, when she kneels to the green boy, that's the first entrance. Mm-hmm. When she comes on, when Kay Mazo came on just to, to meet John Prince, who was the original. Right. Uh, I like that introduction more than already seeing her in the wind waltz. Right. Yeah, that's just that's me. True. That's like interesting. That. It's kind of special. Someone they've never seen just comes on because he's left alone with no partner. Mm-hmm. Right. He yeah. becomes his partner. That's Such interesting. a good ballet. Let's go back to Balanchine for a little bit. Um, I'm curious. Like, I mean, you danced these really hugely iconic roles under him, um, you know, in ballets like Agon and Midsummer. What were some of those first opportunities where you were going into um, you know, often things like Edward had done, like your idol, right? So um, what were some of those first times working with Balanchine on, on these big established masterworks? Well, it was interesting. Balanchine, at least my experience with Balanchine, um, he would push me when I first got into the company. And then he realized, well, he's not really ready yet. And he was very good at this, Balanchine. He would sometimes let someone um, leave them alone for a couple of years and then go back to them to use them, just for them to mature. And, you know, when you come from the school where you're in a bubble, okay, you're basically in the bubble. You're in a, mm-hmm. a bubble. You're not in reality. It's, it's your whole world is there. Mm-hmm. Then going to a company where you're making money. And a lot of young dancers that I've seen can't handle that, you know, or can't because you don't really have responsibility when you're at SAB or any right. ballets. Well, your responsibility is when to learn those ballets in the back mm-hmm. and, you know, make sure if you're an understudy, you know it. And if you're not self-motivated to do that, and some people are not because they expect to be taught things right away just by the ballet master to teach it to like being spoon fed. Right. Um, there's no time for that. So I wasn't the quickest learner, but when I had to, when push came to shove, when I had to learn something very quick, I did it. Uh-huh. But if I was in the back, I would be a little lazy. 
to pick it up, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you've all experienced that, not yourselves, but from other dancers. Well, maybe um, yourselves yeah. a little I mean, bit here and there. You know, it's, it's, hard. <laughs> it's very hard being in the back. It's you, hard you. being in back. But um, Jerry used me a lot, mm-hmm. uh, a lot uh, when he was doing in, a lot. He always used me as a guinea pig for a ballet that I would never dance. <laughs> I would be, he would use me as an experimental dancer uh like a painter doing a sketch before he does the canvas mm-hmm. uh with at the time melindy rory a lot um and uh he would do, did that a lot with me and then he would cast me in we were having a gala um and burstenkoff was in the company at the time and we were going before we had fancy free in a repertory we did a gala with the three sailors doing the solos. And I was picked opposite Peter and Misha uh-huh. to do the first sailor solo. And I was How like, old were you at that time? Oh, I don't remember. But like newish in the company still? Not no. really. Okay. Not newish. Uh, I mean, I did, you know, newish in the company. I did Goldberg. I did uh, what other ballets of his at the time that we were doing, Dybbuk. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Dibbick, I, I was really, I was like the run on in Dibbick. Okay. okay. <laughs> At the premiere, we were right before the premiere, we were doing the bows. And I was the extra person in the back line of the bows. And Jerry asked me to to step away because he <laughs> wanted to be symmetrical. Uh-huh. Sure. Right, 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 right. I get it. And then he came up to me right after. He said, JP, I don't want to take anything away from you. Do you if you want to bow, you can go on and bow. I said, Jerry, no mas. Whatever <laughs> you want. You know, it's it's Come your bow. Really. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, yeah, um, I didn't say that. <laughs> but yeah, I'm home early. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I usually had another ballet after that. Anyway, but he always used me in, in group group stuff. He would choreograph the arts of the of the gentleman there's a section we did a whole sword fighting thing that was a workshop that we actually performed in front of an audience uh paying audience that is never came to fruitation but mm. i did a lot of that um but um i interrupted you about fancy free i'm sorry but i was fancy wondering free. skits are fantastic but fancy free i was just in shock that i would be dancing opposite these two right and it was like i felt not that I felt that I arrived. I felt special. Mm-hmm. The time when I felt I arrived at New York City Ballet is when I did Agon. Mm-hmm. Really arrived. To me, Agon, the black and white ballet, something that is, it, it's, it's just so special. Um, my bad experience working with Mr. B, not that it was a bad experience. It was a really good learning process was when he cast me in Apollo. Mm-hmm. Um, after I did Agon, the, uh, I was invited with Misha and Peter before to go to the Champs-Élysées to perform for a week in Paris after we did a London tour. And then from there, we were all flying to Washington, Kennedy Center. And Bart Cook had three ballets on that program. And I already did the second part of tour, which is the two guys and the one lady. Anyway, they said, you need to learn Agon second, the first part of tour. 
the solo boy uh, because Bart has too many ballets. So I learned it, blah, 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 blah. And then I was in a rehearsal with Valentina Complete. And he was coaching me nonstop. And what he liked about it was that raw energy I had in the solo. And, and then from there, he said to Rosemary, because Rosemary Dunleavy told me this, said, I think Froelich for Apollo. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he promised it to Peter after Misha, but he gave it to me first. Right. Now, I learned it five days before I performed it, which is not really fair. Right. Not optimal. Valentine decided, because <laughs> oh, he was getting old, you couldn't pin him down. It was a week before, because we used to put our casting a week before. Now it's every two weeks before. And I saw my name down. I was told about it first. And John Tarras was teaching it to me, but he was taking his sweet time mm-hmm. teaching it to me. And I didn't finish learning it until two days before I had to perform Oof. it. So it was never really in my body. Mm-hmm. And I was a little concerned about it. I'm not little, a lot. <laughs> because it was opening, it was opening of our winter season was Apollo, first ballet. So I asked Jacques D'Amboise to come at a private rehearsal, a request rehearsal, and he was incredible. Mm-hmm. Jacques coached me, explained everything. Right. Why you're doing the movements? What's the reason? You know, Zeus, the whole thing. So I had the next day I had Balanchine. First time Balanchine seeing me. And there was Suzanne in the back and Karen uh, Von Oldingen. And there was, I was dancing with Elise Bourne, Stephanie Salan, and Patty McBride because Mr. B asked Patty McBride, um, Are you okay to dance with Froelich? for Apollo and, and Patty said, absolutely. He was not in a good mood or he wasn't feeling well. Right. So he would just tear it apart. But everything that Balanchine said, Jacques said the day before to a T, mm-hmm. it was absolutely verbatim, exactly the same the corrections. And, you know, Balanchine, to him, Apollo was not a god yet. Mm-hmm. He's this raw piece of clay that's, that's, learning, that's learning from his muses about music and learning this. And he's playing with, 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 with them. And, and it's all a young. He doesn't become a god until he, Zeus calls him and he starts to walk up the stairs, which we don't have anymore, mm-hmm. that he summons him. But it's um, it was it's a demi character role, right? Right. Because after I did it, and a lot of dancers like Peter Ball and Robbie Fairchild called me and asked me what Balanchine said to me, and I, I and I explained what he said. But I said the person who you need to talk to is Jacques, because mm-hmm. he did it for years, and Balanch he he knows it inside and out. Uh, so. They did, and Robbie Fairchild thanked me for that because uh, Peter's version, which is legit, Balanchine realized there's two different versions of Apollo after Peter did it. Right. 
uh, felt it wasn't suited to him as a dancer, Robbie Fairchild. And same mm-hmm. with Peter Bowl because they're a little bit, Peter Bowl's a little smaller in stature. Right. stature. Mm-hmm. And um, Robbie is not a classical dancer. He's more, he's a demi-character dancer or a character dancer. Mm-hmm. So Robbie's very smart. He Because he got a lot of negative feedback from the person rehearsing it about doing changes, Robbie combined them mm-hmm. on his own and figured it all out. But to me, I wanted to not do Apollo. I said to John Terrace, I do not want to do this. I want to take myself out of it. And John Terrace says, you can't. You have to do it. So it was really hard. That was right. extremely hard for me. But Well, yeah. even, even though the like the rehearsal process, and I, I want to hear, I guess, about ultimately what the, the performing experience was like was for you. Um, well, my first I, performance... My first performance was the dress rehearsal, to be honest with you. Uh, <laughs> the second one, I got it. Uh-huh. A lot more. Not great, but I got it. But Balanchine said to me real quick, at the end of the rehearsal, him exhausted, said, it's funny how when we talk about Balanchine, he always does his, his accent. <laughs> but he would say, dear, don't forget. Don't forget. Do you feel uh, like he was trying to make sure that not just that you had the information for your performance, but so that you had it to talk to Robbie and Peter Bull in the future. Yeah, I think so. He wanted, he said, you know, he always used to say to the, the men in class, when he would give the lady steps, he would say to Mr. B say, you know, the men should do also mm-hmm. because one day you might teach. Right. Mm-hmm. So you have to yeah. know about what the ladies do and you have to feel it. Right. But yeah, I, I think he, I think he, I don't know if he knew it then, but maybe he had a premonition that something like that mm-hmm. would would happen one day. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it must be so special to you, though, that I, I, it's probably I, I, it's possibly the most sought after role in the male rep, um, the most iconic. And, you know, Balanchine loved lots of dancers, that, but he didn't lots of male dancers that were never cast in that part. So for him to have picked you for that must still feel like something that you can carry forever. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I got those photos on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> still well, show him. Me with Patty. Yeah. Right. You know, also I wanted to ask a little bit about like that. This was a period that like you would have been absolutely at the, you know, height of your own technical powers and capabilities, but it's as balancing his health is starting to wane and, we've heard stories about that, that sort of like, if he's not feeling well, like the, the patience that he was so famous for, you know, in those final years in the seventies and early eighties, where he's still working, it would kind of slip. Did you feel like, um, was it, were those rehearsals, um, I don't know, harder, harder to please him or, um, was he different than the balancing you knew as a kid at that point? Well, he always gave me a little bit of a hard time because I think he expected more from me. Mm-hmm. I think he felt I was fighting him. The reason why I say that, because my body, like I said, I didn't get a scholarship at SAB because my body to them, I would never dance because it was so tight and I had very narrow hips. So I would not, I was not smart enough to understand my body. I was just going on instincts. Mm-hmm. Uh, because that's what I just did. Uh, and sometimes that's good for certain people. And sometimes that's not good for other people. But um, he would stop class 
and make me do a step and then have somebody else come and show me how it's supposed to be. Even though that person that's showing me how it's supposed to be is one of the worst dancers in the company. <laughs> John Clifford would come up to me and say, JP, I can't believe he did that because he picked <laughs> someone that we all knew couldn't not do the step. Right. So it was um, because he felt, uh, maybe he felt I didn't really totally believe in him. Mm. And I did. And I knew I could never please him uh, because I, when I first did Agon in Paris, that's the Champs-Élysées with the company, I asked Rosemary, I said, was he pleased? Because I did a performance and he didn't say anything. And he said, mm. she said, he usually doesn't say anything. If he wasn't pleased, he would tell you. Right. Mm. You know, nowadays everyone needs to get feedback you know mm -hmm. was i good was i not good and um in those days we didn't get that kind of feedback you just right. hoped you you were good <laughs> and it kept you on edge a little bit too yeah you know you got your feedback through the the casting sheet <laughs> yeah i got my feedback through the, exactly <laughs> um i wonder how his approach with you maybe affects the way that you now approach working with dancers, what you learned that you liked from that experience, maybe what you didn't like, what you've kind of taken from that as you. Yeah, I've learned so much. Yeah. I learned so much from him and Jerry. I take the good. I hope sometimes you get, you get the bad, but I got, I take the good at what I learned mm -hmm. and try to, you know, transcend that mm -hmm. to dancers the best I can. Now, not all dancers are going to like what I say or what I do or how I do things. That's, that's a given in the job we have. Mm -hmm. You know, some dancers are upset they're not being cast, they're, you know, or they're doing a lesser role. Uh, and, you know, it is what it is. But um, what I like doing, sometimes I like to cast dancers against type for them. And Balanchine did this with me, and I think, and he's done it with other dancers for them to be better artists, to do something out of their comfort zone so that uh, uh, I don't make them first cast. I sometimes make them second or third cast uh, because other dancers are done. But I, I like to cast people like Sterling Hilton. I cast her in interplay for the part of her. She hated every minute of it. <laughs> it just wasn't comfortable for her. And mm -hmm. she said, I know why you're doing it. I said, yeah, because I said, this is going to help you down the road. Mm -hmm. You have to do this. You have to learn this and figure it out for you for down the road. And Balanchine did that with me. Uh, I got to do classical demi-character roles. I went from Emerald's Pas de Trois to Third Movement Bizet, mm -hmm. Puck to Apollo. I mean, Agon. I mean, I can go on. Mm -hmm. um, but I... And then I try to explain musicality. Uh, I teach ballets with counts just for the dancers to know where they are. Jerry would get mad at me for that sometimes. Really? I said, Jerry, the dancers don't know the music, so they have to know the count. Uh -huh. And then eventually I have the dancers listen to the music because Jerry used to say often, especially in his rehearsals for other dancers, he would say, let the music make you dance. Mm -hmm. So I remember teaching a, a ballet to a dancer, beautiful dancer, was one of our principal dancers many years ago. And I said, are you hearing the music when you dance? 
Are you just counting and are not hearing the music? Mm. He said, I'm just counting. I said, oh, that's the problem. Stop counting and listen to it. I'll do it with you. You'll hear notes. So I try to create the sense of musicality for the dancers because some dancers are musical, some don't hear it. And some are so used to in the court of ballet by learning ballets by counting it that mm-hmm. they stop, they stop listening to the music. So the casting, uh, and I have to have dancers learn things that are not really they're right for, for the, it's part of the process of developing dancers. I've had many people say to you, you've, 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 you've created these dancers. I said, no, I didn't create any dancer. They created themselves. They didn't have to listen to what I had to say, but they took what I had to say and they, they applied it. And I don't take credit. It's the dancer. They have to want it. You know, it's them. It's not Mm -hmm. myself, but there's so many things I've taken just the experience of, of being there. Like Balanchine used to say to me in, um, a vals, one of the pas de trois I used to dance. He said, and I wasn't moving enough on the jump. He went, dear, you two are young. Move, devour <laughs> space, uh-huh. devour it. It's like, that's what Eddie was teaching. I felt musicality in Miami mm-hmm. a lot. Oh, yeah. Actually, in classes, the musicality is important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Balanchine stressed that. I wonder, um, when we worked with you in Fancy Free, you spoke so, so much about the characters, creating the character, what your impetus is here and there throughout the entire piece. And so I I always did wonder when we were working with you, if that was something that you took from Jerry, how much of that was you and like, just kind of comparing and contrasting what it would have been like to be in the studio with Jerry and then be in the studio with you in that moment. It was taking it from Jerry doing that uh learning or developing the character uh he would make us do that uh he wanted us to write a synopsis of who we are where we're from you had us do that i did that i remember (laughs) who sleeps on the top bunk because i've said this to dancers i'm working with on cool right now from maria karoski in new jersey you have to have a life before you're on stage you can't just come on and be that character. You have to know who you are, not in the wings, but you have to know who you are so the audience sees that person. And in West Side, and same with Fancy, there you're all individuals. You're not like all the same. So you have to figure out why you're on, why are you flirting with those guys, the, the one in the, the red bat, because everyone nowadays, um, not nowadays, but there have been a lot of people uh, complaining mm-hmm. about fancy free mm-hmm. and uh, why would she, it, you know, it's a, it's a period piece. If they read the synopsis that Jerry wrote before he started choreographing, he created a whole, it's a play to me. It's mm-hmm. not a ballet. It's a play. Mm-hmm. He created the characters and what kind of character that girl is with a red bag. Uh, what character is the one that's doing the part of their, uh, where their history's from. So, yes, I understand why people are saying, you know, you wouldn't grab a girl like that nowadays, or you wouldn't take a purse and, and, and tease her like that. And you have to understand it was done 
was created in 1945, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and weren't you ever a kid in the playground taking a young girl's um, backpack or a knapsack or whatever mm-hmm. with her books and teased her and threw it around? It, it, we've all done that. I mean, I've done that as a kid. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it these are young, innocent kid, sailors in New York for the first time. And they don't mean any harm. It just escalates. And she's also teasing them when she goes off. And then why would she come back on? Mm-hmm. Right. You know, so, uh, but back to what you're saying. Yeah, for Fancy Free, I, I, I really, I explained to them what's fascinating about this piece is Jerry is telling a story by movement, which is unbelievable. All the movement that you're doing are your lines from a, in the play. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and what I do, what Jerry da, did too, and I think it's really important for the dancers, the male dancers, to know who they are as characters, I teach them the solos first because the solos are all different mm-hmm. and you can find out your character through the solo. Mm-hmm. So then once I explain and I teach them the solo and they rehearse it a few times, then I go to the opening. So then they get who they are and they understand what that character is. And it's also the body language of, mm-hmm. of, of them. But, you know, Jerry was very, I was very touched by Jerry one day when I was rehearsing with him after he saw a ballet I put together for him, one of his ballets. And he said, JP, you do this better than I do. <laughs> he said, it's clear but at the same time, you're not yelling at anybody. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. Oh, and he, that's really yeah, good. It, it was, I was really touched. But this is later on in his life when he was being vulnerable. So <laughs> I don't know if he would have said that, you know, 20 years earlier. Right. So what, what was the first time? Me for being too good or not that I'm saying I'm good. I'm just, right. I'm just doing my job. <laughs> So what was the what what was the first time then that he um, asked you to stage a ballet of his? And were you still dancing at the time? I was, okay, in in Jerry's retrospect in 1990, Mm -hmm. I asked people, the powers that be, because I was having a lot of injuries. So I I said, you know, I need to, I need to stop dancing. I've got two kids. I, I just need to stop. And I need to ask you, you could probably figure out who these people are, but that's okay. It doesn't really matter because they might hear this. (laughs) Uh, I said, you know, I've always wanted to work with Jerry, Mm -hmm. but, um, and I don't know if you see me in this institution, but moving forward, but I really would like the opportunity if it's possible to maybe assist Jerry. And they both, these two people's powers that be said, Oh, that sounds like a good idea. Well, we'll speak to Jerry. Eight months went by. I didn't hear anything, which is, you know, you have to, Take the bull by the horns and, that, and you have to do it yourself. You can't uh-huh. wait for someone else to do anything. Right. You have to do it yourself. So right. by accident, I was again injured with my back. And I'm walking to the, at the time it was a state theater, but it's a Coke theater now. I was walking to the stage entrance and there's Jerry coming out of a car. And we both bumped into each other. And I, he said, how are you, baby? And I said, I'm fine. A little injured, but I'm doing well. And I said, listen, I've been wanting to ask you do you need any help for your festival? Because it's, um, 
I'm kind of injured. I'm not really dancing. And I danced a lot of your ballets. He said, yeah, I have a rehearsal upstairs. Come. So I went upstairs and he was doing a ballet and a dancer couldn't get what he wanted. And the ballet master that was in the studio at the time really wasn't giving any correction because when Jerry was running a rehearsal, it was his rehearsal. So you Mm -hmm. stood back and let him do his thing. And he wanted to do it. He loved being in the studio. He loved the whole process. It was, it was, that's where his juices really were. So I gave the, I mean, I didn't know any better. You know, I'm a New Yorker. I speak up. I said, listen, why don't you told the dancer, try this. Hmm. And it worked. And Jerry turned to me and said, that's right, baby. (laughs) And then, and then he eventually said, you know, why don't you come to all my ballets? So he told the other ballet masters at the time, because Sally Leland took a sabbatical at the time. So Mm -hmm. she wasn't around and she did a lot of Robin's ballets. So and a lot of his ballets were coming back that having gone for quite a few years. And then slowly but surely, he he put me in charge of five ballets or four ballets. I can't remember. Totally in charge of them while I was still dancing. Mm -hmm. Because Dances at a Gathering was taking so long and Susie Hendel and Victor were so much in the needed for dancers at a gathering. Mm-hmm. He said, you're in charge of interplay, fancy free, mother goose, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, and that's when my work, that's when I started to work really hard because I had to look at videos and realize, I don't know what the people are doing behind me. Right. right. I had to learn all that stuff. A lot. And I didn't, I wanted to be prepared. I always wanted to be two steps ahead of Jerry mm-hmm. because Jerry was very difficult on his assistants and I saw him be really difficult on his assistants. And I learned from watching what was going on. So I made sure I was totally prepared and knew my, knew what I had to do um, in respect to what I was teaching, especially when he was in the room too, not right. because of that, but it's in general because the dancers are testing me when I was first starting, because I'm dancing with my, I'm working with sure. my peers. Yeah. Right. I'm working with all my peers. And and then I I don't want to be felt that that I was given this job because I have two kids. I wanted to get this job on my own merit, mm-hmm. you know, earn it. Uh, right. Because then I then I don't take it for granted. Right. Was there ever a moment because Jerry was so famously demanding with his dancers, um, that you felt like the the heat was on with Jerry with you like okay I have to really deliver like a, maybe a ballet that is particularly kind of thorny and hard to stage or hard to know all the puzzle pieces of there's one time when Jerry not was was disappointed uh I had a lot of ballets at that time and I was rehearsing teaching afternoon of a fawn and uh I just finished teaching it. So the nuances weren't there at all, but right. I wanted Jerry to look at the couple. It was Yvonne Bure and Ethan Stifel. Mm-hmm. And it was a bad rehearsal. It was a bad rehearsal. Wow. He was not really. And he came up to me afterwards. He said, JP, I think you have too much. Mm. I think I need to give Vaughn to somebody else that has less work than you do. Mm-hmm. And I agreed with him because I danced Fawn. He asked me to do it uh, many, many years ago. Uh, and in my rehearsals with Jerry, he gave me a hard time also. But I didn't 
really, I mean, I understood Fawn. After Nova Fawn, I understood it. I knew what was going on. But I didn't really understand it in regards to teaching it. Right. Mm. So when I went to San Francisco Ballet to teach it and to stage it, eventually when I I took it back, not that I took it back, I had to take it back because Victor passed away. Um, I wasn't getting it again from the dancers, not all dancers, but some. And I had to reanalyze mm. this, 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 this piece, really mm. reanalyze it. And then what helped me a little bit was watching, even though Jerry did not approve this filming, the film, the Canadian film of Jacques D'Amboise and Tanny in a studio with a mirror. Right. Yeah, yeah. And Jerry was very upset. He had no clue this was being filmed. So mm-hmm. uh, he didn't approve it. But the idea to watch what was happening with Tanny, especially Tanny, right, and the way her eyes would look at Jacques in that mirror, there was such a sexual undercurrent going on in that room that was fascinating to me and mm-hmm. then I, I i reworked why after the lift she puts her knee and she turns her knee in and turns her knee out looking at herself and he turns and looks at that in the mirror it's it's fascinating now i have a whole different approach to it right. and uh, yeah mm-hmm. it, it, it's interesting because there's so many nuances to these ballets. And a lot of people think of Balanchine now, it's all about just the steps. It's not. Mr. to be, there's a whole uh, reason why you're doing things. And I've had a lot of dancers come up to me and say, JP, you really tell us why. And I think a dancer needs to know why. You know, mm-hmm. the mystique of Balanchine saying, oh, dear, don't worry, just do the steps. He was just trying to calm somebody down before they would perform. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, that's all. He said something different to everybody. Right. right. You know? Yeah. I th- it's different if, like, if he's alive and there and you have, like, a major talent, someone that can just be, you know, when he's like, oh, just be yourself. Well, if you're if you're Suzanne or Darcy, of course, you can just be yourself. Right. <laughs> but <laughs> Yeah, because they had an imagination. Right. There's certain dancers that don't have that imagination. Exactly. And you have to coach them to the pinky. Uh-huh. Right. And you're like, and Jerry used to get mad at certain dancers. Like, can't you come in here with some ideas? <laughs> you know, come on, think of something. Because sure. sometimes it, the dancers, it's you're not. It's just not. It's not the the creator, the rep director, or ballet master, and the dancer. It's an ensemble piece that has to work together mm-hmm. to figure right. this all out together. Yeah. You you talk about how your approach has changed. Just with that example of Fawn, I'm sure there's a lot of ways that you've changed the way you work in the studio from when you started to now. And so I, I kind of wonder how you've allowed that process to evolve. You know, I think some people don't take into account how many notes you have to have, how many videos you have to watch you again, just like there are so many people on stage in some of these really big ballets and you need to know exactly where everybody is in every moment. So how has that kind of evolved over time, that process for you? Uh, It's interesting you say that. (laughs) Um, during um, during the big turmoil with Peter Mm -hmm. okay um, 
the two people that had the most, um, I don't like to use this word, had, I'm not going to use this word, the, that had the authority on casting mm-hmm. was me and Peter. Mm-hmm. Because even though I had no title, I was running the, the Robbins repertory. Right. And I was in the contract with the trust as the liaison mm-hmm. uh, for the trust. Okay. So mm-hmm. I was the one making decisions. And Peter, uh, he could say something being the director, but he, he basically says, you know, JP's in charge. I can't really say much. Right. Okay. So if anyone came to complain about a Robbins not being casted, uh, they would go to Peter and then Peter would come to me, talk to JP. Oh, okay. So there was some resentment for that. Uh, and um, I had some issues uh, along the way. And um, I, with the company, with the dancers mostly. Uh, and this was a very complicated period with the board freaking out. And, you know, I can... Mm-hmm get into it more in detail, but I'm not. So I had to re-evaluate and learn from it. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people told me you should leave City Ballet. Mm-hmm. You should leave for what you've done for the company without the recognition for what you've really done. And I couldn't do that. Mm-hmm. You know, I just couldn't do that. Um, it wasn't my time to leave. It wasn't my time for the legacy of, of Jerry, mm-hmm. the legacy of Balanchine, and just for the dancers, because I had a large group of dancers that really, really enjoyed the process with me. Um, right. And it um, really knew me in a way of what kind of person I really was. Um, so uh, anyway, I, I learned from it. I reevaluated how I would approach saying things or how I would coach it and how I would relate to the dancers because I assumed, and I always said to dancers, if you have an issue, all dancers, no matter even when I stay, please come to me mm-hmm. and say how you feel or you have an issue, say it. If you're not happy with what something I've said or done or you're not dancing a well, you need to talk to me because I don't know what you're feeling because I don't know. I just see body language. I can read body language, but I could be wrong mm-hmm. what I'm reading. So I just wanted dancers to do that. And certain dancers did, but certain dancers, you know, career short, they feel um, that if you say something, you might not get cast for roles. Right. In my case, that's not true. My case, but they don't know that. I believe. You need to talk. You need to express. You need to say what's upsetting you because you can't move on unless you do it. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to hold a grudge. You know, it's so easy for me to say that. Anyway, I reevaluated a lot, absolutely a lot in how I approach ballets. Yes, I always write down my ballets. Yes, uh, if I have new ballets like piano pieces, I have to write it all down. Yeah, but that's part of my job. Right. It's it's how you create the atmosphere in the studio that's important. Mm-hmm. Right. Because whoever's in front of that room is 
so important because the dancers mirror what's in front of that room. And many years ago, when I was asked to doctor Fancy Free at ABT, I was new at this. And I asked Barbara Horgan, who was the head of the Balanchine Trust at the time, uh, I asked her what I should charge mm-hmm. as a fee. It was only like three or four days work. Right. And she said to me, this is what you should charge. And I went, really? It's a little high. I'll t- and then she said, I'll tell you why. She said, you are the heart of that ballet. You are the one that's going to get it out of those dancers. You are the one that is the conduit of the piece. Mm-hmm. So you have, that's what you should get because you are basically besides the dancers, the most important person in that studio. A thousand percent. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I, um, I reevaluated all that. I reevaluate. Um, and a lot of people have said I've changed. I, I said, I don't know if I've changed. I've just, uh, Yes, I've changed, but I, I've kind of, uh, I take it seriously, but um, I just, I'm not, uh, I'm demanding still, mm-hmm. but I'm not, uh, I choose my words very carefully mm-hmm. on how, uh, and I work with dancers differently on their personality mm-hmm. because everyone to me, dancers don't all react the same way. Some dancers you have to be a little tougher on. A good tough. It's a good tough. It's not, it's for them. It's not for, not for, you know, I'm in charge. I'm in control of the room. That's bullshit. Excuse my language. To me, that's crap. <laughs> that's crap. It's, yeah. it's about getting something out of the dancer and also teaching them something mm-hmm. that sometimes they didn't even know they had. Or something, something teaching something about the piece they're doing. So, um, and then certain dancers organically just get it, right. and they just—you don't have to say much. You do have to say, but you don't have to. It comes; they understand much quicker. Right. Uh, but my approach has changed in regards to dealing with dancers. Times have changed. Mm-hmm. Times have absolutely changed. How do you feel that's affected the output that you get from the dancers? I think I'm getting better output. That's I the goal. I, 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 <laughs> I, I think I am. Uh, uh-huh. Maybe I'm fooling myself. Uh, yeah. I, not, I, I, how did I feel the output? I think the dancers... I have a lot of dancers wanting to be in Robin's Ballets, mm-hmm. a lot of them, because they're so different than Balanchine. Because I had a dancer, I, I gave a, a correction to a dancer at the end of our season, very talented dancer. And she was doing a role in Nutcracker. And to me, it was so over, over the top in regards to desperateness to me almost. And this girl is really talented. Mm-hmm. And it was the role of Dewdrop. And I felt it was like, like it was the last time she was ever going to do Dewdrop. And she was, all, you know, energy and this. And I was told her and I said, you know, yes, you have to do the steps. But don't forget, it's a Dewdrop. Hmm. It's a Dewdrop. Mm-hmm. Something delicate. 
Right. Even though you jump and you turn mm-hmm. and you have to have accents and nuances and different um, pastel colors. You have to have all that, but it's not like you're doing the tall girl in rubies. It's right. a different part. <laughs> right. You can't treat that like black swan. Right. It's, it's different. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, it's going to help you is by doing a lot of Robin's ballets. Yeah. Because it's going to balance it out. Mm-hmm. It's going to balance it out because Jerry's process is so different than the balancing process. Right. He's like, put me in coach. I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, you know, it, yeah, but um, I would like to do more balancing ballets at city ballet uh, a little bit more mm-hmm. before I leave uh, one day, because it is going to happen. Uh, hopefully, um, it might a little bit because I want to give what balancing said to me a little bit more. Right. Uh, but we'll see. Well, you're such an important link for, for both of those legacies. I think it's, I'm so glad that the company still has you, um, you know, for us, for our generation, we worked with so many people of your generation and that's what we want for the next generation. You know, right. it's like, it's, um, it's not so far between each of our, groups you know that but but we want that legacy continued so i just want to ask maybe for the final question you you staged so many things but is there a specific ballet maybe could even be something that um you know maybe it's not even possible maybe it's a lost ballet but a work that you would love to see a revival of and, and personally work on that you haven't had the chance to before a robin's ballet or balancing just any ballet. Oh boy. Or Martha Graham, you know, whatever you, whatever you want, JP. <laughs> wow. I would like to see some of the old Jerry ballets that you are lost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Somehow we re- re- reconstructed. Uh, Pipe Piper, I would love to see. Right. I would love to see, even though I don't know if it was a success, Age of Anxiety. Mm-hmm. I have no idea if it was a success, really, but. Some of those early city center. Yeah. Stuff. Yeah. I, I, yeah. That. And um, I would love, love to see illuminations back in New York mm-hmm. City Ballet. Right. You know, I think it's it's fascinating. And you can do a whole program at City Ballet with that and some, some revivals that I don't know if it would get too much of an interest nowadays because a lot of the older guard in regards to ballet fans they're dwindling right and you know marketing is different now um subscription is different you don't have as many people coming people buying tickets at the last moment all that Mm -hmm. stuff has changed um but i would like to see illuminations right for sure well i I feel like if alistair mccauley we'll we'll put it out he was pushing it he said who would you cast Ah. I told him my, my casting. He would he ask you that. Of course. <laughs> yeah, we we won't ask you that on no. the record. We well, I feel like if the if the time and energy could be spent on summer space recently, you know, like some Absolutely. of those older um gems of the New York City repertoire, New York City Ballet repertoire that people don't necessarily think about, I feel like there's space for illuminations. So yeah. oh I think there's space for that. I I know that what is it, Orlando Ballet has done it. Oh really? I think don't they have a British, I shouldn't say British, but in, from I think the, oh, world, the, the yeah. directors or mm-hmm. may I don't know, but yeah, yeah, but yeah, I would like to see illuminations. It's part of our history. 
Yeah, sure. I like to see some of the ballets from our history uh, come come back a little bit. We're getting a little bit back to Jerry's ballets, like Brandenburg's coming back. Right. We're starting to put some of Jerry's ballets back back in, but there's certain ballets I remember Jerry saying, I don't want to see again. He wasn't really <laughs> very proud of them. So I think Balanchine had that also. Yeah, right. got to respect yeah. that. Well, I think that, you know, we spent a lot of time talking about your work with New York City Ballet, but of course you as a repetitor traveling across the country, across the world, I mean, we worked with you and learned so much from you, which means we learned much from Robbins through you. And so, you know, like you're talking about things that you have about Balanchine that you'd like to pass on, you continue to pass on so much to our generation and we need it because we didn't get to work with those greats. And so it is really so wonderful to get all of that knowledge from you and information from you and these great stories today. Yeah, I feel um, I feel the time that I was in the company was an incredible. Even Lourdes, uh, we talk about it sometimes, Lourdes Lopez. Mm-hmm. It was an incredible time. Uh, yeah. I wouldn't change it in the, for the world. I would never change it for the world. And sometimes... Uh, it's just have to make sure you don't tell those dancers it was better then. It's different then. Right. Right. Sure. No, it was different. Mm-hmm. This is your world. That was a different time. But yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, we're we're so grateful that we got to work with you as dancers. And now that you got to that you were willing to sit with us and tell you about these incredible. Tell us about these pleasure. incredible memories. So thank you so much. Thank you JP. so much. Thank you, JP. Okay. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.